Lerner. And I'm Dave Price, and this is the Teachers Unify podcast. On this episode, Dave and I will discuss Teachers Unify to End Gun Violence, topics related to guns, the classroom, and other issues related to the Second Amendment. Well, Sarah, this uh, episode, I don't know, is this our eighth or somewhere around there, is a first. I always like being on first episodes because periodically, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, Sarah and I are just going to have a discussion. And as Sarah said in the introduction, it's a pretty wide-ranging discussion, but it'll, it'll hone in on somewhere guns, gun violence, and education, because that's sort of what the show is about. But uh, Sarah was, as most of you know, Sarah was one of the co-founders of Teachers Unify to End Gun Violence. Uh, this is the podcast for that organization. So one of the things Sarah will do from time to time is update us about what's going on with that organization. So Sarah, the microphone is yours. Well, thank you. Uh, we are moving right along with Teachers Unify. We have put together a board of directors, which is very exciting, and are working towards the 50C3, 503C, one of those, uh, tax-exempt status. And we are tonight, and I know this will run after, but tonight we are the keynote speakers for the AFT Share My Lesson uh, webinar. And we're very excited about that. So Abby, Sari, and I will be on talking about Teachers Unified to End Gun Violence and how teachers across the country can get involved. So we're very excited about that. Well, thank you for that update. Uh, Sarah, why don't you let people know if they want to get involved with uh, the organization uh, and involved means many things uh, you know and I, I, certainly if you're active in teaching now uh, certainly if you're a retired educator uh, certainly if you're a parent of a, a child who attends american schools certainly if you know somebody that goes to america certainly if you went to american schools so my <laughs> idea is it's a pretty broad-based idea and uh, it, i guess the simplest way to say is if you're concerned uh, with the guns and violence situation in America, it's an organization that should be for you. So how does someone go about contacting or getting in touch or even joining Teachers Unified? So, so you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Teachers Unify. And on our Twitter, there's the pinned tweet is a survey. And that survey um, will give us all of the information to reach out to you to, you know, see how you want to be involved and to tell you how you can get involved. Um, but that's the that's the best way for now. Well, Sarah, as we said before, uh, you know, you and I have been wanting to have a project for a long time. Uh, probably what 
10 minutes after we met at the museum, <laughs> way, ba <laughs> way back then in, in pre-pandemic times. And uh, this is perfect uh, in a number of ways. Uh, so I'm gonna, you know, for me, um, I, I really approach this, the gun issue in three different ways. One is as a former teacher who taught in one of the most violent uh, districts in the country. However, there was gun violence, I don't wanna say nightly, that would be hyperbole, but more than once a week. But it never really occurred in the school. Uh, we had, uh, in the uh, 25 years I was in that building, uh, let's see, one, uh, too many fights uh, to mention. Uh, only weapon ever used was, there was a, a uh, knives, knives used. Uh, but again, uh, my students were exposed to guns uh, from birth. Um, and it was an issue that I, you know, that I said, okay, as a teacher, you know, uh, there are two kinds of teachers, those that feel their subject is most important, and that's certainly okay if that's what you feel, and some of which think that the subject is important, but maybe helping uh, students with their problems is equally is important. And so I would do that. So we would always talk in, in my classes a lot about guns and violence, since it was a way of life for the majority. And even those who weren't involved saw it, you know, because mm -hmm. it was only a town of 20,000. And uh, so I would ask, uh, this prior to Columbine, after Columbine, and then eventually, uh, which is another time I'll talk about in the district, we actually had our own police force we had metal detectors. Uh, there were a lot of things put in. So there were really like three phases, I think, you know, in my teaching career. There was, as I say, uh, before Columbine, uh, then, then the focus became, you know, on school shooting. Then that period until we got the uh, protective uh, things that were designed to keep guns out. But it didn't really matter when I asked until the, until the uh, scanners came in. The students always had the same answer. And I, I think this is something that... Uh, maybe wouldn't shock parents today um i don't know but i would ask them how many guns do you think are in the school today and they would say the answer never really varied much between one and five um, now also uh, my son went to a neighboring high school it was more rural in nature we actually lived closer to the high school i taught which was the urban school but he went to the suburban slash rural school and uh, they didn't have any guns in school but the reason they haven't gone to school, they all were in their cars <laughs> outside. So, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter uh, in terms of where the gun is if it's on school grounds. Uh, that, can be, that can be a real problem. So, of course, that's part of the reason I want to get involved and, and try to do what your organization wants to do is, is to, uh, to end gun violence. Uh, the second way is that I am a grandfather. I'm a grandfather of two, and uh, for the uh, first two years of the pandemic, uh, 20 and 21, it just worked out that uh, my grandchildren were in Australia, so they spent two years there, um, and of course that gave me a real chance to kind of look at the differences between America and Australia uh, through their eyes, and the first thing, Sarah, that they uh, kind of recognized was that they didn't have any gun drills. 
They didn't have guns in schools. It wasn't even a consideration. So obviously, there are places in the world, like try every place other than America, where <laughs> this isn't the norm. But I, I found it even more interesting maybe is the fact that there weren't guns anywhere. So they got to be, uh, they were preteens going in and one was a teenager coming out. Um, they got to really spend kind of that, I don't want to say leave it to Beaver, but that idea, you know, I was, I was, a, a, you know, I, I was born in the 50s, so I saw a little bit of that, then saw some of the 60s, where there was, you could do certain things without fear. Um, and they were able to walk around the city. They were able to go to most, they were able to go with their friends everywhere and never a fear of guns. So I'd like to, you know, I'd like to help make America a place like Australia, not in terms of hang, having a kangaroos, although they're very, very cool <laughs> to have kangaroos, <laughs> you know, uh, but the idea of a place where you don't have uh, that fear. And then for me, the third uh, way is just as a citizen. Uh, it would be nice not to have to, now, I, you know, it's hard to go into your own, sometimes to be uh, reflective and go in, but I don't think that I really worry about guns and the surface, right? But I know they're always there. I mean, they're mm-hmm. always there. And after an incident, you have to, you have to think. Uh, the one that really struck me that wasn't a school incident was uh, the shooting at the Batman premiere in Colorado. And I don't mm-hmm. know why that was. And I, I was thinking, okay, okay. And for f- next few uh, trips to the movies, you know, I'm making sure I know where the exits are. And you know, not that uh, you know that could be anything. Uh, you eyed. It's sort of like the way, uh, I guess, the way to equate it is sort of like the way you, if you travel and, you know, as a writer, I travel quite a bit prior to the pandemic and you're in airports, you know, and it's like that. If you see something, say something. It's that way on the metro. But this is specific to, to guns. And uh, living here and again, pre-pandemic, being able to, to kind of have a free reign of Washington, D.C. and get to hear people. Um, I got to hear a lot of discussion on the Second Amendment. And uh, if the audience will stay with me for a minute, I think I'm going to say something. It may or may not be true, but I'm going to say it uh, anyway because I believe it to be true. I think the Second Amendment is the most misunderstood amendment of all of the 20-some amendments that we have. So what does it say exactly? And Sarah, you know it, so this goes out to other people. So here's the Mm -hmm. Second Amendment. And when I was a teacher, I always read something twice, so I will do that. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, a couple things. It's a little awkward in modern English, but so is the King James Bible. But we can figure it out, right? So let's look at it this way. So what does it say? Well, it starts with a phrase, a well-regulated. Now, that leads me to believe, as a person who's worked with language since they could speak, that in the Second Amendment recognizes the idea of regulations, but they have to be well-regulated. Now, there's two ways to look at well, right? Well, you know, we say well-regulated means a lot of regulations, or it could just be good, solid recommendations. Mm-hmm. Probably, I'm assuming the founding fathers wrote that with the idea of this more the second idea 
in mind, rather than a lot of regulations. You know, well. Now, we get the word militia, which is capitalized. Now, you could make a strong argument, and of course, Sarah, you get your chance to comment when I finish this briefly, <laughs> but uh, you could make a strong argument that uh, militia is at the heart of the Second Amendment. Now, brief history, of course. Uh, remember why we formed this country was to break from England. Uh, there were a couple fears. Uh, one was uh, we didn't want a king anymore, and that drove a lot of it. And, the, and a second one, and of course, we should have Sari Beth here, <laughs> our resident historian, uh, to make sure that what I'm saying is true. But the second thing was the idea of not having that king have the power to have the military to overtake you. And so it was very much uh, for that. So you could make an argument, I think, I don't know if it'd be legal or not, but I think linguistically, I guess we're talking, you could make an argument that the Second Amendment, if not null and void, when we no longer have a militia, and we don't, and do not accept that argument that the National Guard is a militia. That's not what they had then. They had, a, it was a town, everybody was conscripted, you know, you were able to defend the side. Being necessary to the security of the state. Well, um, I know there are people who get offended by my stand, but I think it's time to really revisit the entire Constitution of the United States. Uh, it's old. It has worked, maybe. But what else? I, I know I, I know they didn't have the Internet back then, and the Internet has, uh, basically, it hasn't changed human nature, but it certainly has changed uh society and the world around it and that's just one our most recent so you know it might be time to do that and one of the things being necessary to the security of the state well the militia was then necessary right but it no longer is now you get to the right of the people to keep and bear arms all right now if you go back and study that period of time a couple things happen uh Almost nowhere in the English language does bear arms mean arms that you take out to hunt, arms that you have to protect yourself. Bear arms is a military term. Mm -hmm. And it was indeed at that time. Remember, we're talking about the militia. Now, it does say keep, and that is indeed true. But a lot of people don't understand that while you are allowed to keep your guns, you're only, uh, in most places, allowed to keep a little bit of the powder used to fire those guns. That was basically held in, they called it a magazine area, where the powder was stored. And that's why you see, if you go back and look at history, a lot of times those things blew up, right? But so in other mm -hmm. words, it wasn't like, oh, you can have um, an AK-47 uh, and a 40,000 rounds of ammunition. That was never there. Uh, you know, we don't even have to go to the argument of the new weapons, you know, we can even, but all those weapons shall not be infringed. Well, that's the part that I think, you know, the, uh, what would I say, the overzealous Second Amendment diehards point to, shall not be infringed. But they don't, they wipe away that whole other part, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I mentioned earlier, you know, living in, in Washington, D.C., you get to see and listen to things. So I heard a lot of discussions on that. I think the one that made the most impact on me over the years was twice before his death. I uh, got to hear Judge Anthony Scalia speak. And uh, he was, you know, a noted conservative jurist. Uh, and uh, I always said, 
little insight here. I always said I would love to have Judge Scalia at a Super Bowl party or at any party. <laughs> uh, but as a Supreme Court justice, uh, he did not uh, hold the same philosophy that I did. He would always argue, and I thought he was very bright, but I think he was kind of self-delusional in a sense. He would say that his uh, strong Catholic faith did not inform him uh, and did not uh, influence his decisions. I think he may have even believed that, but I think it did. Uh, a lot of people, you know, he's the devil incarnate to some liberals. That's not the case. He was one of the strongest justices ever defending uh, First Amendment speech rights. But in the course of this, people would ask him, uh, inevitably, whenever he would speak, about the uh, Heller case, which is the D.C. case, which really got this whole idea of uh, anybody can have guns in the Second Amendment and the misreading by the NRA, et cetera, going. And on both occasions, he specifically, and I'm paraphrasing here, said something like this. The Heller case, or the, the Heller case was bad law. And indeed, I could see that. We won't go into details now. So he said, we ruled on a case. But he said, of course, now this is Judge Scalia, said, of course you can have regulations, but they have to be within the law. So mm -hmm. you know, I've always wondered, and I think I know how, but I mean, how does that interpretation, which is logical and reasonable, how does that get interpreted? No regulations, don't do anything. Let's kill anybody who, you know, we can't take the guns away. Uh, it says right there, shall not be infringed. Uh, you know, only a good guy with a gun um, can take out a bad guy, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, my, my reservations start with that Second Amendment. Um, how do you feel as someone who's been, you know, I mean, you've, you've known the horror of mass shooting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, of course, you're, you know, just like I've, I'm sure that Judge Scalia was influenced by his Catholic upbringing. You were influenced by that. But uh, that also makes you someone whose opinion we should value very much because you know the ultimate, uh, yeah, the ultimate outcome of an unfettered gun culture. So how do you weigh in on the Second Amendment? What are your thoughts there? I don't think that what we in the gun violence prevention movement are looking for is to remove the guns. I think what we're looking for are those regulations and laws in place to prevent people who should not access guns or own guns from doing so. Um, I don't see the interpretation that people have that these rights should not be infringed. You're like, it's like you're moving through the cafeteria line and you're just picking what looks good to you, but you're not looking at all of the choices available. And if that's the part you focus on and not the rest of it, which is antiquated, that's a problem. There is no need for well-regulated militia. There is no need, you know, to keep the security of a free state. Like we've got that under control if you want to own weapons, that's within your rights and your purview to do, but they, you don't have just carte blanche access to carry them as you see fit, do with them as you see fit, 
that's not what the Second Amendment is saying. Going into Subway to order a sub with this huge AR-15 strapped to your back is not what the Second Amendment is talking about. But that's the interpretation that people have. You know, it's my gun. You can't take it away from me. I can carry it and do with it as I see fit. If you want to own a gun to protect your home and protect your family, you can. But it needs to be safely stored and, you know, out of access and out of reach from children and people who shouldn't have access to it. So I think there are a lot of parts that the zealots don't want to look at because all they hear is they're coming for our guns, which is not the case. There are plenty of people within the gun violence prevention movement who support the Second Amendment and are gun owners, but they do it in a safe, responsible way. They're not antagonizing, you know, come and take it from me, because that's not what we're trying to do. You know, in the way that they want to be able to own and carry their guns as they see fit, we want to be able to go to school, go to synagogue, go food shopping, go to the movies, go wherever safely as we see fit. And there needs to be some give and take on both sides to see for to find common ground. And I think that those of us in, and this is just my opinion, but those of us in the gun violence prevention movement are far more willing to seek common ground than those who tote their guns into a supermarket or into a subway to get lunch. Well, no, of course, <clears throat> no argument there for me. Uh, we're not going to talk about this, but I just want to bring it up because this would be another show maybe uh, to do this would be the idea, the idea that what I find also in this issue is, is something that, that permeates throughout American history and is coming to the forefront today. And an individual's rights versus the group's rights. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what we're saying. It's, it's really coming to a head there. So, uh, and a lot of people, uh, and, and there is no real, what should I say? There is no real firm legal line, you know, necessarily on that all the time. It has to be kind of negotiated. And use, use the word talk. Well, you know, one of the things that, uh, I guess, you know, being a child of the 60s, uh, you know, some sayings from the 60s, always stayed in my mind um and one was you know kind of if you're you know if you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem so over Mm -hmm. the years i drafted uh, for what it's worth and it certainly this is not sacrosanct it's not even the best it's just the dave price five realistic uh laws of the land and I do want to stress that. I, I, I'm sorry, I disagree that you can have uh, state gun laws because we don't stay. You know, it's not like 
what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. It's not that in America. We cross state lines, we cross county lines, uh, and that poses another problem, but especially in guns. So why don't we do these five and just your thoughts on them. Um, And they're in no particular order. They're just the way I thought of it. So number one, I said reinstate the ban on assault weapons. To me, that's a no-brainer. Unless you're going to be in a military fight, you do not need an assault weapon. If you need an assault weapon to take out a deer... Uh, you've got a real problem, and the I other thing—the other thing I like that is it was once banned, and then it was lifted. And if you go back and study the ban, violent incidents involving those guns were reduced. What do you think, Sarah? Is that a good idea? Oh, I think so, completely. I think if you, like you said, if you need an AR-15, AK-47, whatever other names there are. If you need that to go hunting, you're doing it wrong. Like, you need to go back to hunting school, I guess. I, yeah, it's not, it's not necessary. And I know I've said this on the show before, um, about a week after the shooting at my school, may have been sooner, um, I was on CNN opposite a sheriff from Ohio who was, pro-arming teachers and I told him very plainly and you can look this up on you know do a google search but I told him very plainly that an AR or a handgun would have been no match for an AR-15 if he had entered my room by the time I would have accessed the weapon I would have been shot and killed but a handgun it's like I don't know it's like bringing a like one of those plastic uh, wiffle ball bats to like the World Series. Like you're really not going to get very far. And I told him it would have been useless and he agreed with me. So I might as well have a water gun in my classroom. So yeah, I, I think that assault weapons need to be banned and they are weapons of war. And if you know if that is their intended purpose then that is the only place that they belong in my mind um i don't want to make light of uh, a, a serious subject and uh but you brought one up arming teachers and i think again that's another topic maybe one day we'll explore with the two of us or others uh i'm going to go on record as saying if i'm going to be armed right well, first of all, I wouldn't mm-hmm. teach if I weren't. But if I were, I want a nuclear weapon because I want to be able to take out. Yeah, you know, like you said. I mean, it, it, it's that is a question of weaponry, and oh, I don't even want to go on. Let's save that because that is beyond belief, ludicrous to think mm-hmm. on every level that arming teachers. But we'll save that for another time. So, uh, second thing: background checks before purchasing a gun. To me, that's simply a no-brainer. Absolutely. We have background checks on all kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. And yet the one thing that can threaten us most directly, which is someone either morally bankrupt or insane with a weapon, we have minimal background checks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and the next one I'll throw in right now, because it's kind of related, Three, uh, close the gun shows and private sales loopholes. Both of those, to me, simply indicate this. 
we put profits over people. They're simply money-making machines where people who, uh, again, either lack a conscience or are able to somehow uh, say that, well, yeah, I guess what I'm doing is not that good, but somebody's going to do it. And I'm, the fact that, you know, I can buy the yacht, that, that kind of evens it out. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, so I don't, any, any comments on either one of those two, the background checks or the closing the loopholes? I absolutely think we need to have background checks. You get a background check before you rent an apartment or buy a home or, you know, when you apply for a job or a driver's license or anything. And if you need to be licensed and, and properly checked to own a vehicle and to operate a vehicle, you should be checked in all of that to own a weapon of any kind. And I, as far as the gun shows go, I'm sure our listeners know I still live in Florida. And on any given day driving from where I am in Broward County up to the Orlando area, there are billboards up and down the Florida Turnpike for gun shows and guns of America and all of this other stuff in the center of the state. And it just blows my mind that in a state where we have had two horrible mass shootings at my school in 2018 and at Pulse years before, that that is still happening but then i also remember that we have a republican governor and a republican house and senate and while there are certain areas of the state that are blue the remainder of the state is very very red and this is their bread and butter and it just it just makes me sick that you can go into a convention center or a storefront and purchase a gun like that day. And I just can't wrap my head around that. And you know, Sarah, a lot of people on the other side, they'll say, well, if you don't have the gun shows, they'll be sold on street corners. Well, that may be true, but number one, you're you meaning the people of america are not endorsing the gun show mm-hmm. if, if you don't have them right now it of says course. if you have something you're saying it's okay and i don't think it is okay it's okay to have gun shows if the regulations and everything's fine and you know we go through that uh the other thing is you know uh, which is that you've heard it we've all heard it you know if guns are outlawed only criminals will have guns well you address that so well it's not, and I'm sure there are people in the, in the uh, who are anti-gun and want all the guns removed. I'm sure that there's somebody if they had a time machine, you know, working on a time machine to go back into ancient China and uh, make sure that gunpowder isn't discovered. I mean, all that, but that's, you know, that's impractical. It's ridiculous. You know, what, uh, no, we're not saying that. No one is saying, if, no one's talking about outlawing guns. Regulations are not outlawing the thing itself. It's putting mm-hmm. restrictions on what could be used. Um, when I worked at the museum, I, one of the talks I used to do involved three objects. It was uh, something I, I kind of like the talk, so I, it, it, it's germane here. Uh, the talk involved the Bible, a gun, and the Constitution of the United States. 
And then sometimes I added a fourth, which was a computer. Sometimes I used the Constitution, but then eventually I kind of dropped that and moved more to computer. And what I would say in this talk, the purpose was, these things are neither good nor bad. They are things. Things by their nature cannot be good, nor can they be bad. It's how they are used. So can the Bible be used for evil? And the answer is exactly yes. Can the Constitution be used for evil? The answer is yes. Can um, a computer be used for evil? And the answer is absolutely yes. And can a gun be used for evil? But by the same token, they can be used for good purposes. So mm -hmm. we're not talking about outlawing the thing. We're talking about regulating the behavior of the people using the thing. And I think right. that's very important. And, and it is, a, it is, you know, look, a lot of people, and I'm not one of them, um, you know, okay, I'll talk about the president uh, for a moment, if I may, Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden is admirable in the sense that I really think he does believe that there can be some cooperation between uh, factions, uh, whether, you know, Republicans and Democrats. But Mr. Biden, while I admire what you're doing, I, I don't see that right now uh, because mm -hmm. I, I just don't see that happening. And I think it's the same thing in the gun thing. You know, uh, it's just the idea, and, and you touched on it so much, we don't even sit down and talk about it. You know, the moment you bring up, there's certain words, and one of those, well, let's talk about gun, boom, you know, the conversation shuts down. Mm -hmm. You're taking our guns and we're out of here. And somehow, and I don't know how, I wish I were smarter, we need to open up uh, that discussion. So I have two more. Um, one is no weapons for those with a history of dangerous mental illness or domestic violence. To me, again, that's a no-brainer. You're given a right. The right is to have a gun. With rights, in the Dave Price way, come responsibilities. And many times there are responsibilities. I mean, you have that in a car, right? You have the right to own mm -hmm. a car, but you have a responsibility to operate it correctly. And when you no longer do that, then you lose that right. Uh, so we're not saying, again, if you are a law-abiding citizen, and we don't even mean law-abiding and, you know, we're not going to take your gun, or nobody's going to take your gun, or should not allow you to have a gun if you jaywalk. But I think they are two danger signs uh, that we've seen time and time and time again. Um, I would love, and I'm sure there are statistics on this, I would love to see uh, the number of gun violence cases, especially mass shooting, which I now believe, what is it? Is it is that, it's up to four or more now, I think, to be a mass shooting? I mean, to me, two is a mass shooting. Two, one is too yeah. many, but a one-on-one -on -one is, you know, that's... But anyway, um, that didn't involve someone who either was suffering from mental illness or had a history or was currently involved in domestic violence. Um, your thoughts on that, Sarah? The, the, you know, who shouldn't... I guess one, a broader question is who shouldn't have a gun, and those are two that I believe two categories that should not be able to hold weapons. No, I completely agree. I think if you are not mentally stable and you have a history of violence, whether it's domestic violence or other, I don't think you should own a gun and, you know, be able to carry it freely with or without the Second Amendment. There need to be regulations and laws that keep everyone safe, the gun owner and those who could fall victim to the gun owner. I think the other thing with this is one of the reasons why I think this is such a good idea 
is if you have ment- mental illness, you need help. Okay. You might not yeah. want the help. You might not see that you need the help. Maybe your family doesn't even want you to have the help because of the embarrassment uh, and the shame and the stigma that we have mm-hmm. falsely um, attached to mental illness. So actually, and sometimes you need a reminder that you have a mental illness. So I, I see that as a two-step process. One is you you remove the danger to, and how many of those cases with mental illness involve suicide, right? And even mm-hmm. that's, and it provides maybe an avenue or a wedge. Uh, for example, you know, they say in uh, alcohol and drug addiction that until you hit your bottom, uh, you will not seek help. And uh, the bottoms are different for everybody, but certainly that could be a bottom. You know, if you were kind of denying it and, you know, and they say, no, you can't have this gun. And, you know, you can't force a person into treatment, but you can, you know, you can give them encouragement. Uh, and that's something, and, I was, and the same thing with domestic violence. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, we can argue all day about the human nature. You know, are we a violent per- people? Are we not? I don't know. But certainly uh, the idea of domestic violence, I think one of the things that's is so wrong about that is it us- usually involves a power imbalance. And even, mm-hmm. I, that doesn't mean women can't commit it, can't be domestically violent toward men, but it means there's an imbalance there. And it's not just about, uh, at that moment, I would make an argument that at that moment when you're involved in domestic violence that is just verbal, the mere fact that you're in that situation can elevate to, to physical harm. And if, if a gun is present, you may use that to threaten or take a life. And once that happens, it means again, you need at the least anger management to be productive, not just because I want you to be productive, but because you should want to be productive. And I think of all of them, the fifth one is the one that most boggles my mind. Uh, you know, as, as we know, uh, they, the CDC, now we're not, we don't have to go into how good or bad that organization is, but it is set up to be the health organization of America, basically, uh, has been denied pretty much the rights and the funding to do studies on this. So I say, allow the CDC to study the causes of gun violence and issue recommendations. I would certainly trust uh, the CDC. I mean, I came up with these, not I came up with, I mean, I I grabbed them from different places, these regulations, but I certainly would, you know, they would be more, it would be a more appropriate for them to look at. And if you can't, if you can't study something, you know, we're all going, well, I think, I feel, I believe it seems that studies are supposed to take it into the realm of objectivity. Mm-hmm. And I think we need that. And there again, I would blame, uh, well, you know, if you have to place ba- blame there, it's uh, the NRA and uh, government officials who accept the money from the NRA or the gun manufacturers or who want to get uh, elected and know that this is what they must do or think this is what they must do. And the last thing along those general lines, which always bothers me, I mean, when you see the statistics, and statistics are especially in light of now, when there's there's almost as many uh, polling organizations as there are uh, bars in America, it seems, these uh-huh. days. You know, we used to just be galloping uh, <laughs> a couple other polls. 
and now you know Harris Poll. Now they're all over the place, and so I know you can skewer them, et cetera, et cetera. But most Americans seem to overwhelmingly favor some type of gun regulations, and mm-hmm. yet Congress. And yes, we can blame the Republicans if they're in power and, and where they are. But even a lot of Democrats, you know, uh, do not speak out strongly enough, I think, against that. So uh, now, uh, of course, uh, anything you would add to that list, you know, help Dave Price, not, you know, not anything that you think I missed for me. I mean, just something I would think, something you think you would add? Um, I don't know that I would add this to the list per se, but I know that as as a parent, my son is 16, my daughter's almost 13. Um, I still make sure that if they go to a friend's house, that not only have I spoken with the parents, but that I am certain there are no guns in the home. Or if there are guns in the home, they are safely stored and in like an undisclosed location. So it's funny, my daughter and I were talking about this the other day and she was saying how I'm too overprotective and I, I'm certainly not, but you know, why do you need to know everything? And why do you have to talk to the parents? <laughs> and she's how old again? She's how old she's again? 13. There you are. <laughs> you know. I know, but you know, always with the guns and blah, blah, blah. And I, I said to her, it's for your safety. It's for my peace of mind. I had, okay, so when I was 15, um, we had moved to Florida within the last six months or so when I turned 15. And one of my friends from New York, where I grew up, um, was shot and killed at a friend's house. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, Dave. And it was like a bad after school special, which of course I'm dating myself by using that reference. But he, my friend Andrew went to a friend's house the friend's dad was a police officer. They found one of his or all of his guns and they were looking at it and touching it. And I don't know anything really about guns, but I guess the there were bullets in it, the magazine, something. And Andrew was shot and killed instantly. And he was 15. And I'm gonna be 42 in May. And I carry that, I carry Andrew with me all the time. And I have since he was killed in 1995. And, you know, clearly that was years before there was a shooting at my school, but that's what I keep in my head. And he went to the home of a police officer. I don't blame you know, where does the blame fall in that situation? You know, should the kids have been in the room? No. Should the weapon have been stored properly? Yes. But, you know, at the end of the day, my friend was killed. So that is the driving force behind making sure that my kids are safe, coupled with having lived through a school shooting you know, friendly fire is gun or family fire is gun violence. 
domestic violence is gun violence, suicide is gun violence, you know, all of these things, it's not just school shootings. So I think to anyone who's a parent or like you, Dave, a grandparent, you know, it's important to know who lives in these homes that your children or grandchildren are going to visit. Are there guns in the home? And if there are, for me personally, I don't feel safe having my kids there. Does that make mm-hmm. me overprotective? Sure, I don't care. I want my kids to come home. Right. So those are the questions I ask, much to the annoyment, annoyance of my own children. <laughs> but, you know, as I've said before, I'm Sarah Lerner and I do what I want. Well, uh, I can verify that. Uh, the last thing. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking about something that I haven't really thought I, you know, uh, uh, what the project, the main project that I run here in Washington, D.C. is, uh, you know, talking about my generation, uh, the baby boom experience. And, of course, we're not just um, isolating on baby boomers. It's really generation to generation and looking at generational things. And, uh, I, you know, representing Teaches Unify, um, I was on a panel the other day uh, with uh, what Moms Demand Action. And, you know, they were talking mm-hmm. about the, the same idea. And, of course, one of their big, big big uh, ideas is to promote what you're doing now make sure you know uh, you know uh, when your children go to another person's house now i think there's a generational thing now i anybody listening to this uh, email me call me because i'm just speculating here It's it's a brand new thought that i have i think there's some things generationally uh that may be bad now, but maybe good later in terms of, of curbing this problem. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you. Let's see, by uh, what, a bunch of years, 28 or so years, I'm 70. Uh, so uh, obviously born at a different time in different circumstances. Uh, born in, you know, we're all where we are. I was born and raised in South Jersey where almost, well, I shouldn't say everyone, more, I, I would almost guarantee that more than half of the people had legally obtained guns. It was a place of, of fishermen, fishermen, farmers, hunters, huge hunting, gun clubs. Uh, so it was very normal. And uh, my father, coming from Texas, and uh, wanted me to learn to, to be able to safely handle a gun. And so I guess I was, I don't know, nine. And he said, well, you're old enough. And uh, he set up the bottles. You know, we had a outside so I could shoot. Mm-hmm. And uh, just by sheer luck, I was using a 22. I hit the bottle of my first try, and I think it was my, <laughs> joking, I think it was my father's favorite moment. You know, his son's <laughs> a marksman. Not that he was any bad guy. It was just, you know, I remember, I just remember in my mind, you know, you say that. I remember, Louise, Louise, guess what our son just did? And I, I think that was the last bottle I hit in my lifetime now. But the idea was, you do, but we didn't even think about gun violence, right? We really did. Not that it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But you didn't have the school shootings. You didn't have. Right. It was there. Now, uh, flash forward to my later teenage years. Somebody broke in our house and took our guns. So we're mm-hmm. certainly aware of that, right? But at that point, I did not care. I made a decision personally. I don't want anything to do with guns, and I've lived my life that way since. Um, now, you mentioned, you know, uh, and uh, let me talk about the parenting. Certainly, uh, you know, my son now is. Uh, <clears throat> will be 50, so uh, he's older than you, right? So kind of we're looking at a whole bunch of generations. And, of course, he was in that first, w- I, you know, first wave. Where I, I mean, I, we were talking about this, 
of where it wasn't yet the school shootings really yet, but there was gun violence. And as I say, where we live, it was a very violent place in terms. And I know two things as we're talking, this prompted my memories back then. One was he he came home uh, very early one weekend night, which was unusual. And I said, mm-hmm. he said, well, yeah, he said when the guns came out, we decided to come home. So, I mean, he you know, was around him. That was smart. Mm-hmm. And, and the other was, uh, he was an athlete, and uh, the, it was his uh, senior year, and they were in the hunt for a state title. And uh, another team that they might be playing was playing, and they went to scout out that team, the players, four of he and uh, three of his friends, and I was at the same game. And I remember uh, they walked outside when the game was over, and I was going to stay and see the second game, right? And... Uh, but I said, I'll, I'll walk you out. And, and I just, then I was talking to somebody, and then I heard the shots fired all over the, uh, the lot. So while we were raised, no guns, parenting, we really didn't ask those questions then. But mm-hmm. you're of the next wave where you have to. And I'm sure he will, right? And there's still a part of me, and I think this is part of the problem with change, Sarah. Even though, even though, uh, you know, I'm 100% committed to reducing gun violence in America just for a second I have to say well because you're thinking of your own life and what you boy that's kind of intrusive to ask the person you know and that, that's what the mothers you know said yeah it may be but you have to get comfortable with it and you have to do it and that's part of being a parent in now versus being a parent in the 1970s all right and 80s mm-hmm. and and, and, and um, you know and 90s uh, and I think the third group, uh, you know some of the, the I, I hate to say this, but big names. I mean, unfortunately, we make uh, superstars of certain people. Uh, not mm-hmm. that your group wasn't deserved, but, you know, if you say the name David Hogan, Emma, you, Emma's like Pele, you know, it's just Emma, <laughs> right? I mean, if she really is. I mean, Emma, oh, yeah, I know her, you know. And, uh, well, there's... But, that's filtering down all over. I mean, uh, like I said, uh, my granddaughter, who is just 14, is getting to be quite the activist because that's her world, okay? Mm-hmm. And they deal with this problem. And, uh, you know, of course, um, I follow, you know, David regularly just because he has such a great first name. No, he, he's, you know, <laughs> he's, and, and again, um, I've met a number of, of the students from your high school and not just the, the big names. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're living through that. Well, no one should have to. Uh, it fundamentally changed a lot of them, I think. And so this idea, uh, I, I think that it is not futile to, to continue this fight. I think what is senseless is the fact that how many more lives have to be lost before we do inevitably what I believe the evidence, not just my thoughts, evidence points to that Hannah and Audrey and David and Emma and Rain, generation or generation followed by generation, mm-hmm. depending on, on how you look at that, are they, they were in, in the front, forefront of this. Uh, one kind of non-related uh, comment that I want to make, I mean, it's related, but not really related to that. And then I think I'll let you have the, the closing remarks. Um, Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of willful 
ignorance and sometimes is there such a thing as non-willful ignorance surrounding uh, guns on the the side that wants them and one of the things i've been seeing recently is uh, of course we have the tragedy unfolding in in the ukraine uh, on a massive scale that you know certainly makes any single shooting or mass shootings in america pale by comparison but uh, instead of you know one of the things that the gun proponents are holding up is see that's why we need our guns because what happens you know they're, they're, what they're trying to say is what happens if somebody invades us like they invaded ukraine mm-hmm. well right. ladies and gentlemen on the gun uh, gun gods and trump right uh, there's a problem <laughs> with that kind of thinking yes indeed in the first week uh ukraine armed 18,000 civilians, which has continued to grow. But notice what I said, they armed. They did not have the guns prior to this. They were given to them by the military. So uh, I know for those who fear uh, that they will have to fight against the American government, that really doesn't happen. But I would address them now. The best you can do if you have is fire two weapons at a time right one with each hand (laughs) if you have really talented feet i suppose you could add two more and if somehow you could find another body part (laughs) to pull a trigger uh, i guess you could follow fire five but i do not think you have a flamethrower i do not think you have a tank a bazooka a helicopter a supersonic jet a nuclear bomb and uh, no matter how heavily armed you are, if you fear your own government, uh, you're not going to be able, the amount of weapons is not going to be uh, something that you can use to take them out. So I think on both sides, that argument fails. I think it certainly fails in the idea of a foreign power coming in because, uh, indeed, I, I believe that America would do very much what the Ukraine did, uh, would, would arm this uh, would arm the uh, citizens that wanted to. Uh, secondly, I do not think you know a, a well. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, let's go back. Let's, let's circle back. A well-regulated militia. I don't even think in this day and age a well-regulated militia of any size is going to beat the army, the navy, <laughs> the marines, the air force, and the coast guard. So. Uh, Basically, I guess what we were saying is we, we look today at a couple issues. Uh, there's many more to come. Uh, the idea of this uh, this portion, we'll do it, you know, well, I don't know if it'll be, you know, it's not oh, every ninth episode, but once in a while, it's just nice. And uh, the main purpose is to, or at least the main purpose I conceive of this, is to do what we started with, which is to tell, let people know where Teachers Unified uh, is and what they're doing. And then a second way is to, to go more in depth, just you and I talking, because uh, a lot of times we should not talk, and that's hard for me, when we're interviewing the people because it's their story, not our story. So, Sarah, any final thoughts, anything you want to say for the good of the cause? Um, no, I think what we're doing here is important work, and I appreciate those who listen to us ramble and not ramble. Um, you know, and I, I welcome... I welcome people to join Teachers Unified to End Gun Violence and to work with us to 
bring an end to the systemic problem that just continues to harm our country. Well, again, I, I echo, I said, you could have last thoughts, but I never allow that on a show that I'm on. <laughs> uh, that, that would, you know, I'm Sarah Lerner, I do what I want. Well, exactly. I'm Dave Price, and I do what I want. Uh, so two, the last word. No, this, this is, you know, <laughs> what always happens, and people that I do shows with say, oh, you, no, it's not that. Usually, even the last comments make me think of something important for the mm-hmm. audience. And something I'd like to suggest and, and make sure, Sarah and I do it this way. I'm going to say something and, and bond both of us to it, uh, even though Sarah's never heard this. I think one other thing we might be able to do on this, on our portion of the show, the two when we do, if people uh, send us questions, uh, you know, we could research it maybe and help them find the answers if they have some questions. Uh, and not, you know, because really, when, when we have guests, uh, we want them to tell their story. That's what's important mm-hmm. because uh, it's, it's a piece of the story, but it's their piece. But this could be an opportunity, you know, every once in a while we could do this where, uh, you know, this week, uh, you know, um, anti-Trump. Oh, no, that's anti-Trump. Never mind. Uh, wants to know, <laughs> uh, is that A-N-T-I-A-U? Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, wants to know this, that, or the other. So uh, putting you on the spot, and if you disagree, you know, I can always uh, mute your voice, but do you think that, I mean, is that something worth, I mean, so I'm making the offer on behalf of both of us. You comfortable with that if people want to? Of course. Uh, and where, where should they mail those questions, Sarah, or where should they send those questions to? Where would you suggest? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, so, so, so ladies and gentlemen, what we have here is a conundrum. Uh, an enigma, <laughs> a mystery. So once again, Dave Price has had a great idea that he did on the spur of the moment and didn't think it out. But we promise you that uh, soon we will have such a place for questions. Again, thank you for being here. And now, Sarah, you really do get, I'm going to go and uh, put a muzzle on and you really do get the very last word. Go. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Tune in every week for a new episode. Remember, you can find our podcast on teachersunify.transistor.fm or on Amazon, Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TeachersUnifyPC and online at TeachersUnify.org.